I'm uh, I'm always amazed at how the Holy Spirit orchestrates our services. I have to say, just I'm really excited to talk to you guys about uh, Galatians and uh, just you know when in even from our call to worship, uh, Luann was talking about you know what what true love looks like, you know, laying down your life, and then all the way through you know when we were singing worship about how sweet it is to trust in Jesus, and then finally uh, in, in our catechism when we're talking about um, how to worship God truly. We, you know, we learn that through worshiping Jesus. And, you know, today we're going to be talking uh, through Galatians, we're going to be talking about uh, what, uh, what a life of love looks like. Uh, and, and that life centered on um, what, how Jesus has changed us and how we build this community. And it's just kind of amazing. The harmony of the Holy Spirit just kind of has taken us all the way through to this point um, this morning. So we're going to continue our series uh, on the Freedom Primer uh, today, uh, the Guide to Christian Living. Last week we, we discussed life through death, and today we're going to be talking about the life of love, the Christian experience of freedom, and what freedom truly means in God's eyes. Um, after having spoken about the law to the Galatians, Paul now talks about life and freedom, sort of the, the antithesis. Okay, you have the law, now what does freedom look like? And uh, if I were to ask you to define freedom, you might say it's the ability to do whatever I want, when I want, how I want. And you might even say further on, regardless of the consequences. At least that's the world's definition. And, and this is a very childish definition if you think about it. Kids want to eat ice cream and cake all day. They want to stay up all night and see what the, the grown-ups are doing, right? Of course, we don't let them do that because it would not only hurt them and keep them from growing up uh, healthy, it would just be damaging to them. And as an adult, I don't use my freedom this way. I don't eat cake and ice cream all day. And I, I do try to go to sleep at a decent hour at least um, because I know how bad that would be. That's, that's an incorrect use of freedom, right? So Paul is cautioning cautioning the Galatians against that type of freedom. He says, this is not what you're called to. He's instead going to explain to them what true freedom looks like. Being saved from sin, we aren't given the license to sin more. We are saved to live freely as God's people. And in removing the external requirements of the law on us, we see Christ has enabled us to fulfill the heart of the law. While the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments that we were just talking about, would condemn us as murderers for the hate in our hearts, as adulterers for the lust in our hearts. Instead, Christ has replaced that hate and that lust with a new law, the heart of the law, which is love, enabling us to live freely and uncondemned. We as Christians must pursue lives of freedom, love, and service. So if you want to uh, take a look at, with me at Galatians 5, uh, we'll be in verse 13. says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the love for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to come before you this morning and just uh, offer our lives to you, Lord. We want to be 
joyful. We want to serve each other, Lord. We want to want to be the community that you have. You would have us to be, Lord. We are your kingdom here. We want to have that heart. We want to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we want to pursue it so, uh, so directly, Lord. We want to encourage and build each other up, and and love each other better than we could, uh, Lord. So just we want to lift up um, our community and just uh, lift up this morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So he starts out with, uh, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity of the flesh. This is the same exact language that Paul used before he started talking about the law. If you look up uh, a few verses to, the, to verse 1, he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And goes on to talk about the law. He's repeating this because the heart underneath both legalism and licentiousness is the same heart. They're both extremes. And they, they both have this sinful, oppressive root underneath them to say that I am now replacing God, God's work with my own work. I am now replacing what I'm defining what's right versus letting God define what is right. And in doing so, legalism robs Jesus of the glory of his work for us that he accomplished on the cross. And licentiousness, you know, anti-law, if you will, robs him of his glory, of his work within us. Instead, Christ has set us free not to oppress each other with rules and not to pursue lives of sin. Christ didn't die on the cross so that we could continue in sin. That's ridiculous. Murder is just as wrong for the Christian as it is for the non-Christian. The judgment of the law was removed at the cross, but not the righteousness of it. And so when we pursue freedom, we still pursue righteous freedom. It is still good. Unfortunately, I've, I've had people claiming to be Christians tell me uh, through the years that they could live and continue in their sin because all things were lawful, all lawful for, to them. Misquoting, of course, scripture that talks about dietary restrictions and applying it to whatever suited their needs. And I would uh, question, you know, where uh, what's going on inside their hearts because we we see the fruit of love the uh is is not this sort of pursuing of sin this misunderstanding of freedom comes from our fallen nature the world doesn't know what true freedom looks like if you go all the way back to the garden of eden it's the same lie what was it disobey god and you'll be like him and have the freedom to choose what's right and what's wrong for yourself apart from god God gave Adam and Eve an entire garden to rule over, to tend, to eat of any tree, the freedom that was there. And the serpent in Genesis 3 comes along and says, eat of this tree that you're not allowed to, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be able to decide for yourself how to use your freedom. They rejected God's freedom, and of course it brought sin into the world and death. And nothing... But the grace of God can fix our hearts with, this, with the truth. As born-again born again Christians, we are under the law of grace. We have received the law from Christ, not from Moses, written internally on our hearts and not imposed externally on, on stone tablets. We, as Christians, shouldn't live as rule keepers, as this, these are the lists of do's and don'ts. These are the things that you have to do. Instead, we should be filled with the law, filled with the love of God and the love of our neighbors 
to the point that that's all of our actions. We don't need a list of rules because we love each other and we want the best for each other. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So Paul met people where he was. He didn't compromise on who he was. Right. It's the difference of um, it's cliche, but it's the difference of being a thermometer and a thermostat. Right. The thermometer tells you the temperature and it adjusts itself to what what's going on. The thermostat sets the temperature. Right. Both are both are applied. And and um, so with um, Paul, he was able to be what people needed to hear, but he was not ever compromising on his love on, on who God had called him to be. So this is how the gospel frees us. There's no condemnation for us under the law as Christians because, our, because of our relationship with Christ. The requirements of the law have been fulfilled in us as we draw closer to Christ. His continued internal work on us is externally visible. Our desire is no longer to rebel and hate, not to use our freedom in, to sin, but to live within God's righteous love. It continues in, uh, in Galatians, it says, But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul describes true obedience to the law here. He says God's law is implanted in our hearts. It is to love. The call to freedom is a call to obey God, to love and to serve one another. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, how... how how is love a law? That's that's a little like, you know, that's like calling an emotion a law. But, of course, it's not speaking of love, the emotion here. Um, when we talk about love, there's uh, it's that it's that complete attitude and complete envelopment. Every part of me wants to be with God. Every part of me wants to be right with God. And uh, one of the most beautifully tragic uh sections in scripture that, that uh, I always go back to is uh, when Saul is meant to wipe out his enemies and he doesn't do it. He disobeys God's, God's commandment. Wipe out the enemies, wipe out the, uh, the, even the livestock and everything. And in the scene, Samuel, the, the priest, shows up and says, and says, why do I hear sheep bleeding? Right. This is after the battle. Saul has won. Saul, uh, at the time, it was very common to take over kings and, and make them your servants. So Saul had wanted to do this with these people rather than, than, than wipe them out. And so, again, Samuel comes up and says, why do I hear this bleeding of sheep? Why, why do I hear this sound? Uh, of course, he knew it, right? And so Saul says, well, hold on. I'm, I'm going to sacrifice these sheep. I'm going to make a sacrifice to God because, you know, that's the law. That's the right thing. It's, the, it's what I'm going to do. Uh, and, and Samuel says, but to obey is better to, than to sacrifice. Law, love leads us to obedience. And so that's what the law of love is. In uh, John 13, it says, a new commandment I give you. That, and this is Jesus speaking. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Just think about that for a minute. How do people know that you're a Christian? 
How do they know that what, what, what's the difference between the church and a social club? It says right there, we're supposed to be known by our love. Are we known by our love for one another? Or are we known by the rules that we keep or the do's and don'ts that we say? Or, or the self-righteous attitudes that we have? It should be by our love. I was talking with a friend of mine once many years ago. We were, we were discussing how Christians are often seen as, as, as you know, the, uh, this oppressive group that just walks around uh, satisfied in their own attitudes, high on their own supply, if you will. The, and, and he said something so profound, it stuck with me. He said, Christianity is different from every other religion out there. People don't realize that it's all about radical love. He was talking about both God's love for us and our reciprocal love for him. God's love for everybody. And our love, which is supposed to be in response to that for all of his creation. He loves the difficult people and he loves the easy people. In 1 John, it says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The words God is love mean that love is essential to, is an essential attribute of God. If we truly believe this, there is nothing that we can't bring to God. There's no fear of rejection. There's uh, the isolation of sin is removed. Um, when I can go to my Heavenly Father with every concern and every difficulty that I face, and if I truly love my neighbor as myself, they should feel the same. If I'm having difficulty, you know, I should be able to go to my brother and say, I'm struggling with this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm depressed. The pandemic, whatever it is, insert whatever random thing, no power in Texas, whatever it is, I, whatever's tearing me apart, I should be able to go to my church and, and they should be able to cry with me and pray with me and, and love on me. The, um, a lot of times we can, we, can, we can have difficulty, I think, with individuals in our church, in, at least in our circle, right? Where there's, oh, well, this person uh, is a difficult person to love. Uh, this person is... is, is you know, every time I speak to them, they're, they're you know, it's clear we're never going to see eye to eye, you know, agree to disagree, whatever it is. Um, the, I would just encourage you guys to pray for that person. Pray that God would heap so many blessings on that person. Because your hearts, our heart's attitude toward the difficult and the easy people has to be the same, that God created them special. God loves them. And, um, and if my heart is not overwhelmed with love for the people that I don't agree with, then I'm doing something wrong. So the first, start, first step, I think, would be to pray for that person and then watch God bless them. And then if you have further difficulty, you know, if it's serious, you of course, bring it up with them. But try to seek unity. Um, we are to really live life together. You know, we're to love and serve each other, it says. Um, it's more than just, you know, see you once a week and I act like everything is great in my life. Uh, we need to be more than just Instagram Christians where everything's a little snapshot. 
here's a here's a little snapshot of my life and and I've got no problems. I've got, you know, I'm not dealing with drama, depression, anxiety, whatever it is. We are called to be so involved with each other because it's impossible to love somebody if you don't know them. So in the same sense that Christianity is about radical love for God, it's radical love for each other. So what does love really look like? If we, I, I know it's often used in, in, the, uh, in the realm of every, every single wedding vow has you know, 1 Corinthians 13, but I think, I think there's more to it, uh, definitely more to it than, than that. Uh, when Paul is discussing love, he, he describes it this way. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That has to be a description of our community, our church. That's what freedom looks like. And that's how we should exercise our freedom together. God's example of love was expressed in his humility. It's the same humility that we should have for each other. This community that God wants us to build. If you think about it, you know, Jesus said he came to this earth to establish his kingdom. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A kingdom that is different from the kingdoms of the world, not driven by national borders, or, but instead by changed lives. God wants a people who are hungry for his righteousness, who love him and love each other, who build up and spur up each other towards good works. And it goes on to say, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Freedom without the law of love written on our hearts is rebellion that leads to broken people and broken churches. The church is called to be different from the world. We are, not, we are to be known for our love for one another, not destructively forcing a list of rules upon each other, not forcing our will on each other, not tearing apart, not biting. Uh, all the political things that go on, uh, you know, we see it every day in our work, in our schools, where people are trying to use each other for selfish gains. That needs to be checked at the door and to be thrown out, shouldn't be involved in any Christian's life, and especially not in the church. The freedom that we have as Christians is to let go of wh what our desires are, what our plans are, and to let God work. Our greatest example of a life loving freedom uh, and service is, of course, Jesus. In Philippians, it says, Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is a lie of Satan that power needs to be taken and grabbed and holded and hoarded and, and all these things. You look at how Satan, when he was in the face of God, when he saw, when he was in heaven and he saw the glory of God, he said, I want that for myself. And he said, I will be glorified like God and tried to take it. And of course, he was cast down for it. God, 
exercised his power, showed what true power is by coming down humbly and dying for us. Something, the world, something that Satan could never even conceive of or realize, that was true power. That was true freedom versus being a slave to my own sin and desires. Freedom is loving and serving one another completely. And there, is no, there are no laws on the books against us loving each other because that is the root of truth and righteousness. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll close it out. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you and just be your people, Lord. We want to we want to just be filled with your spirit, Lord, with your love. We want to serve each other, Lord. Show us this week, show us this minute, Lord, how we can serve each other better. In Jesus' name.